Daniel 5, starting at verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver and bronze and iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. This man Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 1, page 1112, if you've got a Bible from the front. Romans chapter 1, we begin in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but... Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Well, there can't be many jobs tougher than being a high school history teacher. How do you convince a bunch of teenagers that something that is old, by definition, involves no screens and may not earn them any money is worth learning about? 
Of course, the history teacher thinks it's interesting. That's why they became a history teacher. And there are probably one or two students in the class who think it's interesting as well. I was one of them. But you end up having lots of discussions about why do we need to learn this? Why does it matter? And usually the teacher would end with this line. I bet you know the end of it. You've got to learn about history because those who refuse to listen to the lessons of history are condemned to repeat it. Have you heard that before? History repeats itself and if you do not learn from history, you'll be condemned to repeat it. Well, tonight here in Daniel 5, we have sort of the ultimate great history lesson. There's a great party with a thousand people. And at this great party, an extraordinary thing happens. Then there's some blood and guts at the end. It's a great history lesson, but more than that, it's got two important lessons. Firstly, history is his story. And secondly, this history lesson is our story. Let me see if I can show you what I mean. It's page 512. You need to have it open. It doesn't start in a history classroom, does it? It starts in a royal palace. And the king has thrown a party. It's Babylon, the capital of the Babylonian Empire, and the year is 538 B.C. God's people, you remember, have been defeated from Jerusalem, exiled by Nebuchadnezzar, brought to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar is history. He's dead and gone. And there's been a few kings, and now we have Belshazzar. And he throws this party for a thousand of his nobles, and there is a lot of wine. Perhaps there is a bit of a lull in the party after a while, and he decides to go for a new party game. Calls in some new cups, a bit like in the tennis when they call for new balls, you know. But this is a little different. Uh, New cups, and they are no ordinary cups. You see it there in verse 2? He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. They are no ordinary cups, they're gold and silver, but more importantly, who do they belong to? To Nebuchadnezzar. And he wants to show that Nebuchadnezzar's cups are his cups. Because you see, Belshazzar is a king, but he's a small-time king. His father, the king, is actually still alive. He's just off fighting wars and Belshazzar's left in the capital city and calls himself king. And he's never established an empire. He's never won military victories. He's really living off the fat of the generations before. And so he needs to show off his power, show his credentials by associating himself with the great Nebuchadnezzar. He calls for the cups of Nebuchadnezzar, but they're not really his. Whose are they? that he had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. They are not his cups, but God's cups. Of course, this God was no match for the power of Babylon. 
He was no match for the power of Babylon's gods. And so they, they hold, as if they hold this god in their hands as they drink the wine and praise their own gods, the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Verse 4. It's quite a party. Well, how will God respond to those who mock him? The party comes to a screaming halt, doesn't it? Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Those of you who've seen the Adams family are thinking this is pretty funny. A hand without a body. But when it appears suddenly and writes upon the wall, it's scary. And the arrogant king is a crying mess. Do you see verse 6? His face turned pale and he was so frightened his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. It's like a cartoon caricature of a scared little boy. Where is his confidence gone? Well, there's no doubt where this hand comes from, is there? It's God he was mocking, the God of Jerusalem, Daniel's God, the Most High God. And there's no question who the hand is writing for. The king who was the mocker. And so like Nebuchadnezzar did in the previous chapters, he cries for help and he cries to his wise men. He offers them rewards, a purple robe, a gold chain around your chest and you'll be the third highest in the kingdom if you simply read the writing for me. But they have no idea. He's even more scared now. But thankfully there's someone who knows what to do. It's a woman, of course, and she knows her history. There's a man who could fix this before, O king. His name is Daniel. Call him in. He's got wisdom and insight. He'll be able to read the writing on the wall. So he begs Daniel, can you read this writing? I'll make you the third highest ruler in my kingdom. Daniel says, you can keep your rewards. I'm not interested, but I'll read the writing. But before he reads the writing... He gives the king a history lesson. Do you see it there, verse 18? O king, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. He made him like a great tree reaching to the heavens. With great power he provided for the people of the earth. He was what God intended man to be, ruling well, providing for his people and the creatures of the world. But he made a mistake. He did not humble himself. He became arrogant. And as he looked out on his empire, he said, this is by my power and for my glory. He started talking like an animal. And so an animal he became. Verse 20. When his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory, driven away from people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. 
Do you think this history lesson was new for King Belshazzar? Do you think he'd never heard that his predecessor, the great Nebuchadnezzar, had gone mad for a while? Gone off into the jungle and lived as an animal for a while? Until he acknowledged the Most High God and then his kingdom was restored? Do you think he'd never heard that story before? Do you think he'd never read the letter that is chapter 4 of the book of Daniel? Of course he had heard of it. Of course he knew. That is just the point. Verse 22, but you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. He knew who this God was. He knew what he'd done to Nebuchadnezzar, and he mocked him anyway. He knew the lesson of history, and he refused to learn it. And so now he's condemned to repeat it. What does the writing on the wall say? Verse 25. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. It does sound like gibberish, doesn't it? You can see why the wise men wouldn't have been able to read it, but it was very simple. They just didn't know Aramaic. And neither do you and I. They're just measurements or coins in Aramaic. In the modern equivalent, it says one dollar, one dollar, two cents, fifty cents. Clear as mud? The trick is not being able to read what it says, but understand what it means. And Daniel makes clear it's a play on words. Verse 26. This is what these words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Here is the trial and the verdict on Belshazzar. You've been weighed on the scale. Well, that's what mene sounds like in the Aramaic language. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting, for you knew all this, and you did not honour the God who holds you in his hands. Verse 23. You've been found wanting. And so this is the sentence. God has numbered the days of your reign. Numbered sounds like mene, and brought it to an end. He has divided, Perez, your kingdom and given it to another. Nebuchadnezzar was given a warning about this sort of thing, but this time there is no warning, no possibility of escape. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Your kingdom is divided and given to another. And God wastes no time. Verse 30, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Here is a great story from the pages of history. It's the party and the fall of King Belshazzar. 
and a history teacher would love it. It's a great story, and it makes it so clear if you refuse to learn the lessons of history, you get to repeat them. But we need to see here there is a lesson about history generally. There's a lesson here about how you understand history, how you interpret history. You see, at one level, what happens to Belshazzar here is no surprise. The fact that he was slain that night didn't need the hand on the wall to interpret it. For Belshazzar is in the Babylonian Empire, he's in Babylon, and the Babylonian Empire by this stage was in great decline. The Medes and the Persians, on the other hand, were doing well and were advancing like the Allies were advancing on Berlin at the end of the war. It was inevitable, really, that Babylon would fall. The writing was on the wall for them. Maybe that's why he throws a party. Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. On a human level, the way we'd normally do history... That explains everything, do you see? And you could be given a question. Why did the Babylonian Empire fall to the Medes and Persians? And there would be no need to mention God. You could come up with five factors and have an excellent essay. And it would be true. But there is another level of truth here. There is another factor at work which actually dictates all the other factors, do you see? That God is in control. Not the Medes, not the Persians, and not the Babylonians. He is working through each of them and bringing about his purposes. For what is history? It is his story. The story of what he has been doing and what he is bringing it to. Does he have a plan for this world? Yes, to bring all things under Jesus. You don't see why he's doing it all the time. You don't understand why he's doing it this way. But sometimes he makes it clear and you can be sure that he is involved in every event. For history is his story. What difference does that make? Well, we should still study history and examine the factors because he works through all these things. But just keep in mind, won't you, that God is in control of all of it. And more importantly, perhaps, here is a great comfort. We're the great forces of history that work in our world. It is a scary place, isn't it? As you learn of the wars that have happened in history, and you think, of course, they will happen again, for wars are happening now. Is anyone in control of all this? Yes, is the answer. And as things happen in your own life, who knows what will happen tomorrow? Is someone in control? Yes. History, after all, is just yesterday's present. And so you can be confident about the present because God is in control of that too and he's in control of the future as well. You can trust him with your lives because history is his story. But there's a second lesson here as well. And not just that history is his story, it's that 
this story is our story. In one sense, this whole tale of King Belshazzar is very foreign, isn't it? I've never thrown a party for this many people. I've never had this sort of goblets that I could use. I've never had at a party a hand writing on a wall or any other time in my life for that matter. And I've never been slain by the Medes and Persians. It's not my story, but fundamentally it is my story and it is yours as well. Why? Because in a sense it is very ordinary, this story. He knew how he should treat God and he did not. Verse 22, you, Belshazzar, knew all this. The end of verse 23, but you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. That is exactly what we are like, isn't it? Every single human being. Romans 1 says, we all know God has shown us that he is there, that he is in control of things, his divine nature and character, and that he should be glorified and thanked. We know all this from creation itself, from his works in history, and he even broke into history in the person of Jesus. And yet what do we do? We know all this and do not give thanks to him. We do not honour him the way he deserves when he's the one who holds in his hand our life and all our ways. Just like Belshazzar, we know all this and we do not honour him. His story is our story. And that means his fate will be our fate. What is the writing on the wall for you and I if we're without Jesus? It's exactly the same, isn't it? We have been weighed on the scales by God and found wanting. And so God has numbered our days and will bring them to an end. This morning we had a book launch at our 10am service of the parish registers. What does that mean? It's the list of the people who were baptised here, who were born and in those days baptised, those who were married and eventually those who died. Page after page of names and dates of those who died. And in the book, there are some stories of the unusual stories of those who died. One man survived World War I, then came back, was out in his field farming and struck by lightning, dead. Another one, a falling tree, dead. Another one was gored by a bull, dead. Most simply died of sickness. Why? My dad would say, I guess their number was up. But he's wrong, isn't he? Because history is his story. The truth is their days were numbered and God brought them to an end. For Belshazzar, it was inescapable. There was no hope. Is there any hope for us? Yes. For there was one man who was weighed on the scales and not found wanting. That's Jesus. And yet God brought his days to an end that he might rescue others. 
You see, Belshazzar's story is our story, but for us, there is still time. So I need to ask you tonight, if Belshazzar's story is our story, have you read the writing on the wall and acted on it? Have you learnt the lesson of history that is Belshazzar been warned and taken the only way out, which is Jesus? You need to trust in Jesus whilst there is still time. And for those of us here tonight who know that we have read the writing on the wall for each of us and we have received mercy, can you see the urgency here? Why it's so important to make disciples. That the writing is on the wall for almost all the members of our community. And like Daniel, we need to read it for them. And show them the way out. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that history is his story, it's your story that you are in control of it bringing about your purposes to bring everything under Jesus and that we can trust you for everything that happens in the past, in the present and in the future and Father we thank you for this writing on the wall that shows us our story Father help us to read it and believe it and be warned and to take the only way out. Jesus, the only Saviour. And Father, if we've done that, we pray that we would be like Daniel, believing this writing on the wall, reading and speaking it to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.